America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth, a great nation which has produced no shortage of developments to worry about. Today, a lot of focus on uh, the developments of crime, which continues to rise in many cities and all across the country, to police misconduct, obviously, with the situation in Memphis that is on people's minds, a struggling economy, and perhaps the extinction of the human race because of AI particularly rogue AI. There's a piece by Ben Cost in the New York Post today which uh, says rogue AI could kill everyone. Scientists warn as the chat GPT craze runs rampant. And Elon Musk, you remember him? He uh, just uh, tweeted, using his own company, obviously, he tweeted last week, uh, chat GPT is scary good. We are not far from dangerously strong AI. Is that right? Is this something to worry about? Nobody better to speak to than someone who has worked in this field for a very long time and, in fact, is one of the leaders in the field of artificial intelligence. He is also Robert Marks, the senior fellow at the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at the Discovery Institute here in Seattle. Uh, besides serving as director, Dr. Marks hosts the Mind Matters podcast for the Bradley Center at Mind Matters uh, AI. He's a distinguished professor of electrical and computer engineering at Baylor University. Uh, Dr. Marx, how about that? Are we really in danger of uh, rogue AI killing everyone? Well, I think you'd have to define exactly what you mean by rogue AI. AI is a tool and nothing more than a tool. So in order for AI to, to, to take, take over, if you will, there either, either has to be a human behind it or there has to be incredibly careless programming. So, um, no, I don't believe that, you know, that is going to happen. One of the things that people need to remember is that AI has its limitations. It'll never be creative, it'll never understand, and it will never have sentience. And that's going to diminish its probability of becoming rogue at uh, any, any time in the future. So, and there's other people that are really smart that disagree. Roger Penrose, who won the Nobel Prize a couple of years ago, says that uh, AI is never going to be conscious. In fact, uh, he wrote a book called, let's see, what's it called? It's called uh, uh, The Emperor's New Mind, a great book where he outlines the reasons that he believes that AI will never grow, be conscious. And I think you have to be conscious and sentient to go rogue on your own. It'll never go rogue on its own. Well, you have just uh, written a non-computable you, which uh, is is uh, subtitled uh, "What You Do That Artificial Intelligence Never Will." Um, what is the essence of uh, the stopping point for artificial intelligence? What what will it be unable to do to which it might be applied? It certainly can it can drive vehicles, right? We we know that already. Yes. Uh, it can compose music. 
Uh, can, can the music be? I, I would, I would, I would disagree with that. But let's well, go, go ahead. On. Well, I, I believe that in order for AI to compose music, it has to be, it has to be programmed with the same uh, music that it is, um, that that is is purported to generate. If you want to generate jazz, you train the AI on a lot of jazz, and well, guess what it does? It generates jazz. In fact, there's a big lawsuit which was recently which was recently posted against some of these AI models, these large language models such as Jet GPT and some of these uh, some of these others such as Lambda, saying that hey, you're infringing on my copyright, and the reason is is you're using my music in order to generate stuff that sounds like my music. You're you're using my my prose in order to generate things that sound like my prose, and you are diminishing my ability to make money. So this is going to be a lawsuit, which is going to be determined in a court. And it's going to be interesting to see how, how it turns out. If indeed they do uphold the copyright, the copyright of the original creators, it's really going to be put a big chill in a lot of this artificial intelligence, which is all trained on stuff that already exists, much of it, much of it copyrighted. Right there, there was apparently uh, a new uh, development with Minnesota uh, University of Minnesota Law School, where the professors used Chat GPT uh, in order to uh, generate answers in four law school exams. And while uh, humans averaged a B plus, the popular and powerful AI robot uh, did did not. It uh, the bot passed each exam, but not with uh, flying colors, averaging a C plus, less than the human beings. Uh, why do you think that uh, they would have difficulty beating human beings uh, in terms of? Uh, being programmed to do law school exams. Well, yeah, this, this is very interesting. In fact, it's not only the law school and the bar exam, but uh, ChatGPT has been used to pass medical license exams. And again, uh, let's see, one of the most prestigious business schools, Pennsylvania's, Pennsylvania's Wharton School, a professor there reports that ChatGPT earned a grade of between B and B minus on a final exam, usually presented to MBA students. So yes, this is this is indeed which uh, this is indeed happening right now, and it, yeah, it is. It, it's kind of chilling, but you know, this is a this is something we're going to have to adapt to. I remember a number of years ago asking whether whether students in mathematics and engineering and science should be able to use a program calculator on test, a programmable calculator on test, and you know that was big. That, that was big and controversial. And so we're having that today, and uh, we're going to have to adapt to it. I think to its credit, there are people starting to come out with some of these detectors for large language models like chat GPT, which will look at these extended answers and say, you know, there's a, there's a good chance this was generated by a large language model. So this is something which is, you know, which happens with technology. And any weaponry, you come out with weaponry, you come out with the anti-weaponry. And so um, there's there, there's a guy at Princeton that came out with something called GPT-0, and he uses statistics of the response of whatever prose was submitted and uses it to determine with a certain probability whether that was generated by a large language model like chat GPT. 
And to their credit, OpenAI, who generates ChatGPT, is looking to, if you will, watermark their generated text with an unnoticeable secret signal that, uh, that, that you can detect whether or not the text which was generated, it was generated by ChatGPT uh, or not. And so this is something which is, which is in the works. And so, you know, there, there's, there's kind of pushback towards some of these, some of these things all, already. Well, again, and it's it's uh, right now. It, there's so much that uh, people are fascinated with, and and I think afraid of. Uh, there was uh, one particular line of work where I think people would applaud if the current people who pursue that line of work were actually replaced by artificial intelligence. They couldn't do worse. People might say, "I'm talking about the Congress of the United States." A um, member of Congress, uh, just for the first time, uh, delivered an address on the floor. It was a brief speech uh, by a Massachusetts Democrat, but it wasn't actually by him. It was by Chat GPT. Uh, and uh, we've heard about sermons. Uh, there was a rabbi in Long Island who delivered an AI sermon, and apparently the congregation loved it. So where do we go and what jobs are most threatened by the developments in artificial intelligence? We'll be right back with Dr. Robert Marks. Portions of the Michael Medved Show are brought to you in part by the Discovery Institute. Show, uh, speaking to Professor Robert Marks of uh, Baylor University. He is also the director of the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute here in Seattle, uh, the leading think tank in the Northwest. And he's the author, most recently, of uh, Non-Computable You. Uh, what you do that artificial intelligence never will. Uh, one of the things that is uh, uh, very much on people's minds about artificial intelligence is the loss of jobs. I mean, the, the most common analogy that people bring up or the most common possibility that people bring up is that uh, there are literally millions of fast food jobs that could be uh, replaced at, at much less cost by robotics. And uh, then you also have the question of automatically driving trucks. Uh, there is a huge uh, job market for truck drivers still. And uh, are they at realistic risk of uh, losing literally millions of jobs by people who drive for a living? Okay, that's a, that's a question to me. Yes, of course, AI is going to be disruptive. Technology is always disruptive. We had an industrial revolution where everybody that used to work on farms moved to the city. Everybody, you know, people have to adapt, unfortunately. As far as self-driving cars, we're still not there. There's different levels of self-driving cars, the highest of which is level five, where I get in my car and I 
get a little program to drive to West Virginia, and I go in the back and take a nap and just trust my car. We're, we're not there yet. You always have to have attention. So that's that's far down the road, I think, and uh, we'll, yeah, we'll 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 see what happens there. That's possible, but it's a big it's a big place to jump. Uh, will will these chat GPT programs and large language models disrupt jobs? Yeah, I think they will. Of course, they're going to cost copywriting jobs. But in my experience, I've used chat GPT for example to. Uh, generate. By the way, I said Chat GPT three. That means this is the third generation. So I might slip and say that I've used it to generate a um, an announcement to publicize a workshop that we're having here at Baylor on the Spectrum. My son used it to draft a rental contract. But in both of these cases, it was a suggestion, and we took the results in both cases and we polished them so that it met our, our criterion. You mentioned this congressional speech and the sermon. I, I don't know this for sure, but I suspect that that was polished too. Will it get to the point where it doesn't need to be polished? But possibly that can be that can be the case. But the thing to remember is that AI is a tool, and anytime you get a really good tool, it's going to cost jobs. But one of the things that these these um, large language models, such as Jet Chat GPT is not going to be able to do it'll never be able to cover a breaking story it'll never it'll never be um, a creative in a sense which which uh, we can define if you want to get into the definition of uh, creative and plus the other thing with displacing some jobs there's going to be other jobs which are creative you're going to have uh, tech support you're going to have computer programmers which are programming and tuning these things to work so there's a great book by a guy named Tamney. It's called The End of Work. And he talks about how technology technology doesn't uh, make the world more dystopian. It makes it more utopian. Now we have lots of free time to go out and do the things that we like to do because of technology. We don't have to go out and hang our laundry on, on a clothesline. or We don't have to go out and plow our own fields and raise our own food. We, we have a lot of free time, and I think that that's the, that's the history of all technology, and it's going to be the history of AI, remembering that it's just going to be a tool. It's an incredibly powerful tool. It's an impressive tool, but we're still kind of looking at its limitations and what it's going to do and how the effect is going to be on society. Yeah, what you were telling us before about how different levels of technology, even in the distant past, have uh, created uh, new jobs at the same time they make other jobs obsolete. I know that one of the examples that I know George Gilder has written about is elevator operators. There used to be more than a million people who made their living. They went to work every day uh, running elevators. And today you look back at that and say, well, if they can get the elevator to work, why can't they get you to press the button? Uh, and and that, it, it seems to me, would be uh, a, a good example of the direction of AI. In that regard, one of the things that's very much in the minds of everybody today is this horrible case in Memphis with the five police officers. Uh, doesn't that argue for robocops, for police officers who would be programmed not to beat someone up and kill him unnecessarily? Oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, there was a case in San Francisco where they had these so-called killer robots, and the San Francisco Council said, well, you know, we're going to uh, 
we're going to allow it. And then there was a big backlash because it was San Francisco, and so they outlawed it. But there was also a case here in Texas where a sniper had killed five policemen at a number of a number of pedestrians, and they had spent hours and hours just talking to this guy, realizing that there was nothing that was going to happen. So they sent a robot in with an explosive, and they took the guy out. That was the only solution. The, the guy in charge says, you know, we'd exhausted all sorts of things. We told him we were going to do this if he didn't, if he didn't surrender, and that was, that was the case. So the idea of, of these killer robots boils down to the question as to whether they're autonomous or not. And as long as you have a person in the loop, I think it's pretty, um, it, it's a pretty safe operation. If you arm, for example, a robot with a firearm, and that firearm can only be fired remotely by somebody, uh, then that really is just an extension of the arm, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's just like the policeman having a firearm and being able to discharge it remotely. So, yeah, I don't see yeah, I don't see any problems with with that. The the question is autonomy, and autonomy becomes a very touchy question in the case of artificial intelligence, which is the reason that we haven't gone to the level 5 self-driving car yet. Is because that would be totally autonomous and nobody really trusts that as of yet. We don't have the technology to trust it as of yet. What about uh warfare? Uh, I mean, obviously the the, they're trying to in- inject as much AI as possible to spare human lives. Could we be moving away from some of the unspeakable costs of war uh, that we see in Ukraine? That is a question for another time. Th- there is so much that raises questions and actually answers them. In the book by Robert Marks, Non-Computable You, uh, you can uh, go find it at noncomputableyou.com. There's a great deal more, and Robert Marks, greatly appreciate your conversation. We will be right back on The Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. On the Michael Medved Show, today is a uh, historic day for many reasons, but uh, not only because the development of this horrifying case in Memphis, Tennessee, which has been on the top of everybody's news broadcast and everybody's minds, really, but also because today was the day when one of the most celebrated uh, freshman Congress people in history, somebody who has gotten so much attention even before he's begun serving in the House of Representatives, he made his maiden speech, his first ever floor speech. And uh, you know what? I, I think you can listen to this speech, and there are no lies in it. Nothing made up. Uh, here is George Santos uh, addressing the House of Representatives. Uh, listen. Madam Speaker, today I rise in support of the brave Iranian protesters who are fighting against barbaric forces of immorality 
During his 1967 inaugural address as governor of California, Ronald Reagan said that freedom is fragile, is a fragile thing, and it is never more than one generation away from extinction. Iranian protesters have based this revolution on three principles, women, life, and freedom, all of which America, America has rightfully championed. With a considerable population of Iranian-Americans in New York's 3rd Congressional District, let America serve as a democratic beacon of light for the Iranian men and women who are fighting abroad. Okay, this was not written by a, a, a chat bot, not by chat GBT. That's the, the true thoughts of uh, George Santos and um, probably one of the least controversial recent points that he has made. I mean, what, what's stunning now and what could actually involve some criminal difficulty is the changes in his financial reporting obligations. In other words, he had filed a, uh, a series of papers about the financing of his campaign saying that he had personally contributed uh, loans to his campaign from his personal wealth uh, of some $700,000, which is a pretty juicy contribution. But it turns out that uh, he um, originally checked a box saying it was a personal contribution, and now when they were refiled, they altered the uh, uh, so there's no checkbox. He doesn't identify the source of it at all, and we still don't know the source of the money. It is unlikely that it was a personal contribution, because this is a guy who is reporting an income of fifty-five thousand a year at its height, and uh, and of course had uh, back rent and uh, unpaid bills and. It's all very peculiar. The The one thing that I think is significant is that yesterday the Speaker of the House uh, indicated that if, if the Ethics Committee found out that George Santos in his fundraising or his reporting had broken any laws, that he, Kevin McCarthy, would support his expulsion from the House of Representatives. Uh, somebody else in the House of Representatives thinks there's some chicanery, double dealing, and she, in a sense, rises to the defense of Joe Biden. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene. She uh, went on the One America's Network, OAN, and uh, she suggested that uh, Biden is actually not guilty of any personal mishandling of his papers because, and she always loves conspiracy theories, he was set up. Uh, listen, clip five. It makes me wonder something else that, that other people have been wondering. Are, are we seeing a setup for them to try to get Joe Biden not to run for president and perhaps make way for someone else to run for president in 2024? I think those are those are interesting things to think about. But I'm glad to see, um, you know, Democrat senators and different Democrats uh, just claiming what is absolutely true, how reckless and irresponsible. It shows that he's not fit for office. I'll say it again, impeach Joe Biden, and now we just have more reasons to do so. Okay. Uh, is she suggesting that uh, one of the grounds for impeachment would be mishandling of documents? 
and and again, given the fact that uh, there has been some documented, accepted mishandling of documents, not only by President Biden, but by Vice President Pence now, and certainly by President Trump, uh, though he he is um, a little bit less ready to even recognize that he did something wrong with those uh, actually several boxes of classified documents that were found at various places in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, the, uh, another very loyal follower of President Trump is Carrie Lake. And uh, there's a, a, a piece, and I think it's uh, an important piece, in the Arizona Mirror. And uh, it's a, a piece headlined, Election Denial is Lucrative, Carrie Lake raised $2.5 million after Election Day. Now, what's amazing about that is people from all over the country sending her money after her election had been settled, and she lost. Uh, the day that Katie Hobbs, who is the new governor of Arizona, was declared the winner of the governor's race, cash poured in to Carrie Lake's campaign as people from across the country heeded her call to fight back against an election system she said was BS. More than 8,000 people contributed $338,388 to Lake's failed campaign on November 14th. Less than a quarter of those contributions came from Arizona, though the Grand Canyon State led the way with about 1,700 donations. Money arrived from every state plus Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia. Lake took in more money that day, six days after the election, than she did on any other day of her campaign, which began in mid-2021. It was the first of five days after the November 8th election that Lake's campaign would tally more than 100,000 in contributions from across the country according to the Arizona Mirror's analysis of the campaign finance reports. Between the day after the election and the end of the year, Lake received more than 7,000 contributions from 37,281 people. Did I say 7,000? No, it's more than 57,000 contributions. All told, the uh, former news anchor turned a MAGA star raised Two million five hundred fifteen thousand dollars, one hundred sixteen dollars, after the election. I mean, uh, you, I, you can feel very, very bad when you have uh, given money to a candidate who loses. But to give that kind of money to a candidate who's already lost, why? More than half of the $3 million in post-election spending, because she had some left over. She didn't even need this extra money because she had more than half a million dollars left over from her campaign war chest. More than half of the $3 million in post-election spending went to TAG Strategies, a Virginia-based marketing and communications firm that received payments nearly every day. It's unclear what most of that $1.5 million in expenses was for as the late campaign categorize the vast majority of those payments as administration other in finance reports. There's also uh, 
an unbelievable amount of money that, that the campaign spent at the Scottsdale Resort McCormick Ranch, the swanky AAA Four Diamond Hotel, where she and members of her staff relaxed after their failed campaign. Medved show. Uh, we uh, all talked about President Trump uh, coming back to Instagram and to Facebook. Uh, Twitter remains to be seen. Uh, Truth Social, he still remains a very vigorous presence. But Adam Schiff, um, who is not a favorite of President Trump's, I mean, he's been referred to frequently on Fox News as um, uh, Adam, uh, well, they say bullshit. Um, in any event, we will, we will see about his campaign for U.S. Senate. He is almost surely campaigning for the U.S. Senate, and that campaign uh, is being launched, or at least partially launched, by his first TikTok video. Now, the idea of doing videos on TikToks, I am... Um, <laughs> I am trying, despite the fact that I'm being pushed by some of my associates, to avoid TikTok uh, because there's enough in terms of messages and emails. And Okay, but Adam Schiff's first TikTok video is all about the effort by Speaker McCarthy and the other Republican leaders of the House to get him removed from his perch where he was at one point chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. And then he ends with a, a punchline that is familiar and uh, actually resembles some of what we heard about Carrie Lake. Uh, listen. Hello, I'm Congressman Adam Schiff with some troubling news. Today, Kevin McCarthy removed me from the House Intelligence Committee, all for doing my job, for holding Trump accountable and standing up to the extreme MAGA Republicans. We knew it would be bad when the Republicans took over, but it's far worse than we expected. But I can promise you this, this is not the end of my fight for our democracy. This is just the beginning. Please join us and contribute today. Thank you. Okay, absolutely no clue of what they're contributing to. Uh, are they contributing to a legal defense fund? Are they contributing to his Senate campaign? And by the way, well, this was the unbelievable, we should have led with this, Jeremy, because the most unbelievable announcement. Did you hear that Dianne Feinstein, uh, who would be 91 years old, really she would at the time of her reelection, if she does get reelected or face reelection, uh, Diane Feinstein made an announcement about her plans. And during the year 2023, she is not going to let us know whether or not she's running. She says she's going to make a decision not before 2024. She's waiting to get the requisite maturity to, to reach the age of 90 uh, so that she can make that announcement, Senator Feinstein. 
she already has, I believe, one, two, and with Adam Schiff, who's almost announced, there are at least three Democrats who are already officially running against her. Congresswoman Katie Porter, uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, uh, and there will be others because it's a Senate seat from California. And that's part of the deal here is that so much of this political candidacy, and you can see this with uh, Carrie Lake, uh, when you raise so much money, even though you can't legally use that money to pay your rent or to buy a car, well, you can buy a car because you could claim the car is for a campaign purpose. As long as you have some conceivable campaign purpose, including staying at a Four Diamond resort for weeks after the election, and she didn't think the election was over, the actual ballots with a $17,000 vote advantage to her opponent the facts said it was over. And speaking of facts, there's this. Um, this is a summary from Newser about the very latest on George Santos. Uh, the latest issue regarding George Santos to have come under scrutiny, what's the origin of the more than $700,000 loaned to the campaign of the newly elected GOP congressman from New York? In filings with the Federal Election Commission from April of last year, and later in 2022, the Santos campaign said those loans were from Santos's personal funds. But in amended campaign finance reports filed yesterday, his campaign unchecked a couple of important boxes regarding a $500,000 loan and a $125,000 loan. While the amended forms still say those loans came from the candidate, a box indicating they came from personal funds of the candidate, which was originally checked on the 2022 forms, is now unchecked for both of those loans. So if that $625,000 wasn't from Santos' personal funds, as previously indicated, where was it from? That's not clear, the Daily Beast reports. Uh, more on the latest on Santos. Number one, confusion about that $625,000 a spokesperson from a nonprofit watchdog group sums it up this way to the New York Times. I have never been this confused looking at an FCC filing. And an elections lawyer muses that if the campaign loans didn't come from Santos's personal funds or a bank, they likely came from illegal sources. Why the amended filings? Most of the amended information in the new filings simply corrected routine discrepancies on the forms. The FEC commonly flags missing information and then asks for errors to be fixed. But experts say the number of amended filings is strange. Some reports, for example, have been amended seven times so far between 2021 and now. And there's more. But there's also support for George Santos. Uh, the Daily Show prepared... A, uh, a political ad in his behalf featuring some of his constituents who proudly voted for him. And yes, it uh, is meant as a source of humor. Listen. Probably been hearing a lot in the media about our new congressman, George Santos. But now it's time that you hear from us, the people who voted for him. We here in New York's 3rd District voted for Congressman Santos because he's a fighter. And not just as a politician, but as a boxer 
who beat Muhammad Ali in 1972. It's a great fight. Come on, Tommy! I stand with George Santos because when my apartment building was collapsing, he held it up with one arm. I support George Santos because simply put, he's a war hero. Also invent the window. I'm voting for Santos because he cares about seniors. And as an 87-year-old woman, that's important to me. I stand with the brother George Santos because he invented the cure for COVID. Just wish he had done it before I died from it. I stand with Santos. Yup, even me, Academy Award winner Morgan Freeman. As a Christian woman who's never had sex because I'm saving myself for marriage, this is a I know George lady. Santos shares my values. Why do I support George Santos? Because we're both proudly Jewish. Jew-ish. I stand with George Santos. Now watch me eat this meatball sandwich. Mm. I stand with George Santos, who's, who's Anthony DeVolder. I stand with Anthony Santos DeVolder. Did George Santos, I stand with George Santos. I stand with George Costanza. Anthony DeVito? Okay. George Michael. John Stam Stamos. Whatever his name may be. I, I'm with him. I'm with her. I'm with him. Can I call him Rick? I want to say Rick. I stand with Rick. Y'all know who he is. Paid for with money you sent to a dying dog, probably. Okay, and this is not a parody. This is um, more another brand new report. Uh, Santos, uh, last month, on a Brazilian podcast, he claimed, in, in Portuguese, obviously, to have been the target of an assassination attempt. Did you know that? Wow. And in a newly resurfaced 2020 interview, he claimed he had met Jeffrey Epstein. Now, why would you want to claim that if it weren't true? I mean, I, I think it's probably not true, but really to... And then after uh, Santos took issue with his skewering on late-night TV... He ended up in a Twitter battle with a drag queen. This uh, before the films of him performing in drag surfaced. The um, Kevin McCarthy said uh, yesterday that if the House Ethics Committee finds Santos broke any laws, the congressman will be removed from office. The Hill reports it's McCarthy's most extensive comment yet on political and potential punishments Santos could face. There is more, like a multi-billion dollar, a new program to build 24,000 homes for the homeless. Will that solve the problem? Uh, there are those in Seattle who think it will. We will get to that and more in this greatest nation on God's green earth. 